Seems like a long time since we've talked about our theme for this year. We've been off on uh, some reunion activities and uh, remembering the 75th anniversary of Northside, and that's been a good thing, been an excellent thing. Uh, in fact, that's why we put the subtitle on this year's theme. This is the year of the Lord's favor. Uh, we remembered a lot of good things that the Lord has done, and He has brought us this far. But our overall theme for the year is freedom in Christ. We're looking at uh, some of the freedoms that we might not realize, might not always claim, might not always think about as much as we should. As Toby told you earlier, we started uh, with a series called Free and Clear that was about debt-free living, a different kind of freedom, a strictly earthly freedom. Uh, but I think it was worth our time, and from the results that Toby shared with us this week, uh, it's really worth it. Congratulations to those of you who uh, took some real positive steps in becoming free and clear. Our second series that we talked about was Free from Sin. talked about the real basics of uh, what a wonderful thing it is to be freed from the guilt and the power of sin third series was Freedom from Fear. Uh, we looked at a number of different fears that we face in this life, and each one of them was answered with the same answer, if you remember. Uh, we face our fears with faith. Uh, today we come to a new series called it Free from Doubt. Uh, you may think that sounds a little bit like freedom from fear, and it's a uh, in, in that range, it's another kind of fear, I guess, that we could have. Uh, but this is specifically uh, for Christians. That's who I'm preaching to. If you're saved and here today, I'm preaching to you. I'm preaching to you about your confidence in Christ. About how you think and feel about your salvation. Uh, the second series was about the, the joy that we have because we're free from sin. And that's a foundation for it. But then once we are saved, once we're in that condition, uh, I fear that some Christians may not be altogether certain all the time. I don't know how many, and I hope it's way fewer than I think, I don't know how many Christians are occasionally are uncertain or have doubts about their salvation. Uh, I know some who act like it. And those are the ones that I hope we can talk to in this series, free from doubt. Uh, we're going to look at a lot of ways in this series that that doubt shows itself. Uh, our first lesson is called Blessed Assurance. Uh, it's a real basic introduction here. Uh, my goal in this lesson, and in fact the whole series, is to keep things simple. I want this series to be very positive, and I want it to be very simple. Sometimes we get way off in deep things and uh, forget how simple some of the basics are. I read a great story one time about a, a professor from a big American seminary who went over to Korea to visit a missionary. And he visited with the missionary for a while, and then he told him, he said, I'd really like to speak uh, to the church that you work with. So the missionary said, well, all right, we can, we can arrange that. So he got the small congregation together out in the rural Korea, 
And this great seminary professor uh, stood in front of them, and the missionary got ready to translate for him. And the professor began his sermon this way. All thoughts can be categorized as concrete or abstract. And the missionary looked out over this group of simple farmers and children sitting on the dirt floor, and he translated this way. I have come here all the way from America to tell you about our Lord Jesus Christ. Three cheers for the missionary. Uh, Sometimes we do that, don't we? It's a lot simpler than we want to make it sometimes. And yes, there are deep topics and things that we need to study, and we spent a whole year on Romans one time on Sunday nights. That was some deep theology. And that's good. We need to understand that. That's great for us as we grow and mature and all that. But sometimes we just need some simple things. And I hope this sermon and this series is pretty simple. Uh, Let's begin by talking about doubt. Now, I ask a question on your handout. I printed out, uh, if the Bible is absolutely full of be confident, don't fear, don't doubt, trust God. If the Bible is absolutely full of that kind of stuff, uh, the question is, my question is, uh, what do you think God expects us to think about our eternal salvation? Now, let's not go over this too quick. This strikes me as a big thought. Maybe it's just because I don't have thoughts too often, but this one I had, and I thought, that's a big thought. I mean, that approach is profound. If the Bible's really full of all of that, and it is, I mean, just think about it. Every time an angel came to earth to visit, what did he say first? Don't be afraid. Fear not. It's okay. And all through the Bible, we get that over and over again. Well, then the angels came. The angels came to the shepherd and spoke to them. What did he say? This is about peace. This is about peace on earth. You're going to have peace now. Jesus, when he walked toward the boat in the middle of the night, and the boys thought it was a ghost coming, what did he say? Don't be afraid. Don't worry about this. When he came out of the tomb and met the women, what did he tell them? Don't be afraid. I'm a dead man walking, but don't be afraid. The Bible's just chock full of that kind of thing. And think about it. All of those, all of those don't doubt, don't be afraid, be confident. All of that is for this messy old world where there's a lot of things to be afraid of. That's why we did that series on Don't Fear. All of those things are really good reasons to be afraid. But the Bible tells us over and over, don't fear those things. If the Bible tells us over and over not to fear those things in this messy old world where this world provokes doubts, what about eternal salvation? That's the one thing he handled for us. That's the one thing he said, I've got this one. And we doubt about it. We're uncertain. We have questions. 
I mean, if we're not supposed to fear a ghost walking on the water in the middle of the night, why would we fear anything about our salvation? That's how simple this is. That's what our key verse said. We'll look at that in more detail. We'll stay there in 1 John a lot. Brothers and sisters, Christians should not be doubters on this topic. I put a statement on your handout. You can go to heaven and you can know you're going. Brother Gene Swan, brother, recognizes that. He gave me a book not too long ago written by Brother Tom Holland. And that was the subtitle of the book. You can go to heaven and you can know you're going. And that stuck with me. I thought, you know, we ought to think that way all the time. We ought to be able to tell people that. We ought to be able to tell people, you can go to heaven, and you can know you're going. And if we ought to be able to tell that to anybody, we could certainly be able to tell that to Christians, and that's what I want to do in this series. How many Christians operate on this basis? I'm going to heaven, and I know I'm going. I know we sound like that when we sing, I'm in the glory land way. You know, all of us, get we we convince each other, I'm in the glory land way. But when we're out there on our own, do we have that same kind of confidence? Daily, hourly, we ought to have this kind of confidence. I hope we do. I hope I'm not talking to very many people that might have doubts, but I think I might be. And I'm not the first one to try to tell you this. John, 1 John, the book we're going to work in this series quite a bit, he said through there over and over and over, he said, I'm writing this book so you can know. I'm writing this book so you can know you're going to heaven. And he gives us a number of ways in there that we can know. Uh, the key verse that we're going to talk about in a moment that was read for you just a moment, that's what it said. So you can know you're going to heaven. Here's a reason you can know you're going to heaven. Doubt and uh, uh, uncertainty do not fit in the abundant life. Remember a few years ago we did a series about the abundant life, John 10, 10. Jesus said, I came that people might have life, I think he means eternal life, and have it more abundantly. That's about this life. We get this eternal life and we get this more abundant life here on earth. The abundant life here on earth doesn't have doubt and uncertainty in it. It's a life of confidence. It's a life of being able to say... I'm going to heaven, and I know I'm going to heaven. Now, I said I was going to keep this simple, and I'm going to keep it so simple. I'm going to go to kindergarten level here. I've got two things we want to do today, and both of them, any kindergartner could figure it out. Our first simple step is we're going to put three words in the right order. That's the kind of thing kindergartners do. You know, they get three words or three pictures, and the teacher says, put these in the right order. Well, we're going to do that. The three words are are doing, feeling, and knowing. All we got to do is get them in the right order, and we'll be well on our way to understanding and having this blessed assurance. Now, 
Let me point out first, it's a little harder than it seems because the world gets it wrong. The world's answer to that question. When I say world, doing, feeling, knowing. Put those in the right order for me. They say feeling. Well, what about the other two? Well, they don't matter. Feeling's the only one you got to worry about. You got that, you got it. You just start watching this week. You pay attention to how many things in this world, in the news, in every place you look, are based strictly on feeling. How many marriages have blown up, and after they blow up, you ask the bride or groom, well, why did you think this was going to work? Well, I was just so in love, I knew it was going to work. How did you know? Well, I just... (laughs) You know, there's no knowing to it. It's all feeling. You ask a lot of people, they've got these strongly held convictions, and you say, why do you believe that? Well, I, I just feel it's right. That's the way the world operates, folks. There used to be some thinking involved. There used to be some knowing. There used to be checking some authoritative sources, but not anymore. It's just feeling. So as we go through this, some of you, especially those of you who are a little younger, have been taught that's all there is to it. If it feels good, it's okay. You're going to have some troubles with this. But we're talking Bible here. We're talking eternal salvation matters. We're talking what God tells us. Okay? The answer is easy if you read the Bible. The Bible consistently puts them in this order. Knowing, doing, and then feeling. Feeling's in the Bible. It's okay to have feelings. It's okay to have emotions. But it comes after knowing and doing. Let's just work through a few verses here and see if we can figure this out. The first one I put under knowing is John 20, verse 31. Okay? Now, let me set the context for you here. This is the end of John's book, his gospel, about Jesus. He gets to the end of writing his biography of Jesus. And he says, this book's been full of stories about Jesus. And then he adds... He did a lot of other things. I wrote a whole lot of them down here. He did a whole lot of other things, but I don't have room to tell you about those. But what I did write, what I did record for you, this gospel was written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. John says there is enough in this book for you to know that Jesus is the Christ. You read this book, there's enough for you to know. And then you can have life in Jesus Christ. You ask this world, you ask some people, why do you... Feel that you're going to heaven. Well, I had this reason, or somebody told me this or that. What do you know about Jesus? 
Well, I, I feel that I'm doing the right thing. I feel like I'm living a good life. I feel like I'm trying to follow the Ten Commandments. Now, knowing always comes first. Always comes first. What follows that? Matthew seven twenty one. Let's look at that. Jesus says to these people who feel that everything's okay, look what he told people. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. First, you've got to know from an authoritative source who Jesus is. You've got to know what God says and all of that, and then you do what he says. And I realize I, I just picked three verses out of the whole Bible here to show you this, but this pattern is all through the Bible. You start looking for it. Anybody that pleased God goes through this same pattern. Knowing, then doing, then feeling. Let's go to 2 Timothy 1.12. Feeling. Now bear in mind, this is a guy, the Apostle Paul's writing this. This is the guy who felt in all sincerity that he was doing exactly what God wanted. What was he doing? He was persecuting Christians. He was persecuting Christ. He didn't believe Jesus was who he said he was. And he had an absolutely clear conscience about that, folks. He said, I did that in all sincerity. I knew I was doing the right thing I, because he felt he was doing the right thing. And then on the road to Damascus, he got things in the right order. He met Jesus. He didn't read the book of John. He saw the book of John. He met the Word. And he knew that he was Jesus. He knew that he was the Son of God. And then he went to Damascus like the Lord told him, and he did whatever the Lord said. He did what the preacher told him to do. And after he had known and done in the right order, then he wrote to Timothy, I know whom I believe. I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. I entrusted him with my eternal security, and he can guard that for me. I'm convinced, I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Now, there's the order. You've you got to know from the right source. And this works in the world, not just in the Bible. It works everywhere. you got to know, and then you do the right thing, and then you feel good about it. Feelings are tricky. You can make people feel good about something that is absolutely false. What if you got a phone call, and they told you you'd won the lottery? That your name had been drawn at some store, and you'd won $100,000. On your drive over there, would you feel pretty good? And you get there and they say, I got you. <laughs> You'd feel bad all of a sudden. Okay, The world's like that. 
We believe something. We, we feel like something is true. And boy, we feel good just like we had it. But that's when we don't follow the order. Some of you drive over there feeling good. I'd be doubting. As I don't believe you. Now I'll come check out. I'll come see if it's really true. Okay. I've got to have that knowing there first. Anyhow, that's the, the pattern. Okay, those verses show the order. Knowing, doing, feeling. Now, remember, the world's got it wrong. The world says, I know this. You say, well, how do you know? Well, I feel like it's true, or I heard it from somebody, or I read it on a blog, or I got an email. How many of you get emails that aren't true? Is the person that sent them to you trying to trick you? Or are they absolutely sincere? They're absolutely sincere. They read something that confirmed something that they felt about, and they didn't bother to check an authoritative source, and they sent it to you. Anybody spell Snopes? That there are places where you can check those stories. <coughs> Excuse me. An authoritative source, as authoritative of men can be, <coughs> that tell you, no, that's fake, that's phony, not true, didn't happen. People don't check that. They just read it and they feel like this is okay. <coughs> I feel like I have a cough. You know I have a cough. All right. Knowing's got to come first. Now, if it's true in silly matters like little emails, <coughs> how serious should it be about things in the book? About eternal salvation, eternal security. We ought to be really sure about the source and make sure this is in the right order, the knowing, the doing, and then the feeling. During the Civil War, President Lincoln uh, promoted General George McClellan to be the major general of the Union Army. Uh, McClellan wrote to his wife that next day. He said, I don't feel any different than I did yesterday. Thank you, sir. He said, I, I don't feel any different than I did yesterday. In fact, he said, I haven't put my new uniform on yet. But I am sure that I am in command of the Union Army because President Lincoln's order lies here now before me. He had it from his commander-in-chief that said, you're in charge of the Union Army. He said, I don't feel any different yet. Yeah, that would come. But the knowing came first. In this series, I hope we learn that concept. We have to trust the authoritative word of our commander-in-chief. And when he says it, we can trust it. But he's got to say it first before we feel good about it. Let's make sure about this. Turn over to Acts chapter 16. Have your Bibles with you. I didn't print these all out for you. 
Acts chapter 16, we're going to look at a story. Make sure we get the background right here. Paul and Silas in prison in Philippi, singing, you know the story. Earthquake comes, jailer ready to kill himself because his prisoners are going to escape. Paul and Silas called out to him, don't hurt yourself, we're okay, we're not leaving. Got all of that. After all that got happened, get down to verse, let's start in 29. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Okay, You understand the principle here. He had seen these guys who served God, who acted different than anybody else he had ever seen. They, they were singing praises about how fun it was to be in prison for Jesus. He made an impression on him. So when his life was spared, when all of that happened, he said, how do I get like you? What have I got to do to be saved? They replied... Verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. That's the answer. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Now, now, what do you believe about the Lord Jesus? Well, what the book says, or in this case, what an apostle says, because that's what they did next. They told him. They spoke the word of the Lord to him. He could have read the Gospel of John if he had had the Gospel of John, but he didn't. He had an apostle standing there. So the apostle tells him about Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. All right? He, he now knew about the Lord. He was learning about the Lord in verse 32. Once he had learned that, verse 33, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and then, immediately, he and his family were baptized. Well, where did he get that idea? Where did he come up with that? Well, that little phrase there, they, they spoke to him the word of the Lord. They told him about Jesus, who Jesus was, so that they could believe in him. And then they told him what Jesus said to do. That's the second step. It is do it. If you really believe, that means you'll do whatever that person says. You believe in somebody, you'll do whatever they say. Well, that was the step he took next. He did it. He was baptized. And then they had a big dinner. Verse 34, he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. He really felt good about it, folks. When did he feel good? After he knew and did. Pattern all through the Bible. Read any case you want, look at any Bible story. Do all of that. It, it, it happens that way. You learn the right thing. You know what God says about something. You do whatever he says, and then the feelings follow. That's the pattern. 
All right, let's test it. Let's read the key verse today. Back to 1 John. 1 John 5, 11 and 12. John says, this is the testimony. Well, hold it now. Who's testifying here? What are we talking about? Let's back up just a little bit. He says, verse uh, 9, we accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater. I kind of like that little phrase. If I ask you, are you saved? Are you going to heaven? You say, yeah. I say, well, okay, I got your testimony. Now let's check God's testimony because God's testimony is better. He says, God's testimony is greater because it's the testimony of God. And he says, uh, verse uh, 10, down at the end of it, the testimony God has given about his son. This is the testimony. This is God's testimony we're hearing now. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. This life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. This is God's testimony. What's the testimony? We have eternal life. Who has eternal life? Anybody that's in the Son. If you're in the Son, you have eternal life. That's the knowing. That's what he says. This is how you know. How simple is this? told you this is a simple sermon. Some of you say, well, hold it now. There's one little piece that he didn't tell us. Well, that's because he's preaching to Christians. He's not preaching to sinners. He's not preaching to people that aren't saved. They know how they got saved. He says, if you're in Christ, you got saved. Now, if you don't know, if you're here visiting and you aren't a Christian, you say, how do I get in Christ? Well, you can read from Genesis to Revelation. You can look for all the ways you want to find how to get into Christ. If you ask people in the world, they'll tell you. But remember, they're going by feelings. If you want the right answer, you go to the book. I checked. I looked from Genesis to Revelation. I can only find one way in the Bible to get into Christ. Only way I can find. Absolutely only way in there about how to get into Christ. Paul wrote to Christians in the in Roman church, 6-3. He said, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. How do you get into Christ, Paul? Only one way I know. Be baptized in him. Into him. That's the doing. That's one of the ways of doing. Don't restrict it to that. Or you may get, get in trouble. We'll talk about that doubt later. You start trusting in the wrong thing. You better be doubting. But that's the way you get in Christ. That, that's when it happens. Now, I know we're saved by faith. Faith is obedient faith. We do something, we know we do, and then we feel. Suppose I decided I wanted some place to put my life savings. I've got my life savings all in one bundle here in cash, let's say, and I want to put it somewhere where it'll be safe and it'll provide for my retirement and all of that. 
and I ask all my financial counselor friends, and they bring me all this paperwork, and I read about all these different investments and all these different banks and all these securities and all of these stocks, and I read all of these things, and I get all done, and I pick one out, and I say, this is it. This is the safest, securest, most profitable place I can put my life savings. What's that prove about my faith in that company? Absolutely nothing. What will prove that I believe that company is the place for my life savings? When I put my life savings in there. When I entrust it to them, then I believe in them. You try it. You you look up on the Internet. You find out the most profitable stock in the world in the last 10 years, and you go to that corporation's headquarters and tell you, now 10 years ago, I believed in you. And I had $100,000. I believed so much. I'd like you to pay me my dividends. Believing in facts is one thing. Believing in somebody or something or some company or some stuff is totally different. You believe in Jesus when you trust him with your life. Our second simple step. All we got to do is pick the right word. Kindergartners can do that. You got two choices assurance or insurance. Assurance or insurance. Now, I've got both of these. Yeah, I imagine most of you have both of these in your life. I have an assurance about a number of things. I mentioned that, in fact, last week, I think, when I was talking about faithfulness. I said there are certain people. That if they tell me something, I can count on it. I am assured that it's going to happen. I have assurance, and their word is all I need. A couple of examples I get. Somebody calls and had a family member die. They want to have a funeral this week. I call Cheryl. I say, we need a funeral meal on Thursday. I don't worry about it again. I have perfect assurance that funeral meal is going to happen. Call Archie, I say, we need some singers on Thursday. Last time I think about it. I have perfect assurance that we're going to have some singers here on Thursday. Okay? That's assurance. Their word's all I need. Then I have insurance. I got lots of insurance. I got health insurance. I got car insurance. I got home insurance. I got... Some extra insurance. I get some extra liability insurance in case the first insurances don't work. I got insurance. Okay? Now, the first time I got insurance was when I got my driver's license. Okay? And Dad took me. We went to his agent, putting me on the policy. I think Dad maybe paid it for a while. I can't remember all the details. But that's when I first had some insurance. A few years later, I got on, out on my own, and I kept the same agent that my dad had. And I had my car insurance that I started paying for. I think I had some renter's insurance for a while. 
Then pretty soon I needed some homeowner's insurance. Pretty soon I was told, well, you ought to have a little extra liability insurance on top of that. A little personal property that might go over the limits, so well, you probably need a little insurance on that. So I just keep adding insurance and keep paying my premiums. Yeah. So I've got lots of insurance. Now, a couple of years ago, I got a deal in the mail from my insurance company that said your car insurance, you have no car insurance now because you didn't pay the last premium. It was due two weeks ago, and you didn't pay it. I said, you got to be kidding. I always pay my premium. So I went and grabbed my checkbook, and I looked through it, and wasn't a check in there for it. I went down to my desk. I went through all the stacks of stuff that I got on there, and down in one stack where it shouldn't have been it was my bill for that premium. I don't know how it got there. Nobody's allowed to touch my desk, but I still don't know who, how it got there. <laughs> it's the wrong stack. So I called my insurance agent and I said, I forgot to pay this bill. Now, understand, I've been paying insurance premiums to this company for over 50 years. And I've had maybe two little claims. I don't know. I guess I got some shingles one time and a little car bump one time, but other than that, I've just been putting it in, not taking anything out. I think they're ahead. <laughs> yeah, I may catch up someday, but right now they're way ahead. So I call my insurance agent, and I'm figuring that she's going to say, don't worry about it. It's okay. You're a good customer. You've been paying for 50 years. We got you covered. Give me the check when you can. What she said was, how soon can you get me the check so that I can call them and tell them that you paid your premium and it's in my hand and then you'll have car insurance again. Until then, you don't have car insurance. I was flabbergasted. I had insurance. Here's the difference. Assurance is not based on what I do at all. Assurance has nothing to do with what I do. Insurance is all about what I do. My insurance is as good as gold. It is a sure thing as long as I pay my premiums. As long as I do my part on time when I'm supposed to. Then I got insurance. Here's the question. Is your confidence about your eternal security, is it assurance or insurance? Is it, if it's based on his testimony that you have eternal life, or is it based on you paying your premium? doing all the things that you think you've got to do to earn your way into heaven. There's a big difference between assurance and insurance. Next time, we're going to talk about because he said so. We're going to see if we've got this blessed assurance because he said so, and we'll talk about that in more detail. Let me close by reading a letter to you. 
preacher one time said that next Sunday he was going to preach on heaven. An old gentleman in the congregation that was pretty ill wrote him a letter that came to him during the week. The letter said this, next Sunday you're going to talk about heaven. I'm interested in that land because I've held a clear title to a bit of property there for over 55 years. I didn't buy it. It was given to me without money and without price. But the donor purchased it for me at tremendous sacrifice. I'm not holding it for speculation. The title's not transferable. Not a vacant lot. For more than half a century, I've been sending materials out of which the greatest architect and builder of the universe has been building a home for me, which will never need to be remodeled or repaired because it will suit me perfectly, individually, and will never grow old. Termites can never undermine its foundations because they rest on the rock of ages. Fire cannot destroy it. Floods cannot wash it away. No locks or bolts will ever be placed upon its doors for no evil person can ever enter that land where my dwelling stands. It's now almost completed and ready for me to enter, and abide in peace eternally without fear of ever being rejected. I hope to hear your sermon on heaven next Sunday from my home in Los Angeles, but I have no assurance that I shall be able to do so. My ticket to heaven has no date marked for the journey, no return coupon, and no permit for baggages. Yes, I'm all ready to go, and I may not be here while you're talking next Sunday, but I shall meet you there someday. You have that kind of confidence, that kind of assurance in your eternal security? If not, today would be a good day to do something about that. We're going to sing a song called, It Is Well With My Soul. This song's got three verses, and they're all different. The first one talks about the conditions in this life. When peace like a river, or sorrows like sea billows roll. When things are good or when things are bad, it's well with my soul. Second verse is about sin. My sin has been nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. It's well with my soul where I am in relation to sin. And the last one's a good one. It says, it says, it says I'm ready. It's well with my soul. It says there's going to be a day. When the clouds will be rolled back, the trumpet will sound, and the Lord will descend, and that's well with my soul. I'm ready. I'm ready for that. If you can't sing this song with that kind of confidence, you don't believe it's well with your soul when he comes back. Today would be a good day to fix that. You know what to do. Do it. Let's stand and sing.